Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Welcome to the coffee shop. Are you ready to do a little bit of life over coffee? I was talking to a lady at our church meeting this past week, and she said, well, I don't like coffee. (laughs) And I'm thinking, just work with me, please. Just work with me. You can do life over water. You can do life over tea. You can do life over milk. It doesn't matter to me. But what does matter is that we want to help uh, to equip Christians to be able to spur one another on to love and good works. And so our responsibility, our passion is to equip the saints of God so that they can do better soul care, more effective soul care with each other. Our address is lifeovercoffee.com. We have a sanctification center. I call it my coffee shop. And it is full of resources. And so you can come in and you can read until your eyes bug out. You can uh, listen. We have podcasts. You can uh, also watch videos too. And so you can read, watch, and listen. And of course, we ask that you share our resources with everyone. Don't hoard. Don't be selfish. Don't be stingy. We want you to share all that we have with your friends, and that will help us to reach more people with the practical message of Jesus Christ. I have a big topic that I want to share with you today, and I've titled it, How to Steward God's Most Feared Blessing. Now, that is a big whopping title, and it's something that we are going to have to get our minds around because suffering is uh, very common in all of our lives. We're either in it, uh, we're going through it, uh, we just came out of it, or we're heading back into it. But suffering is always with us because we're fallen people living in a fallen world. Therefore, we want to have a sound, robust theology of suffering. As I've often said, one of the things that that surprised me, actually it surprised me, I didn't even know about this phrase, a theology of suffering. I was surprised when suffering came into my life as a Christian. I thought Christianity was going to put me on this different kind of path that was different from the life that I had been living. Well, in many ways, it is way different from the life that I've been living, way better than the life that I lived the first 25 years. But there is something that is common to my former manner of life, and that is suffering. And so as I entered into my Christian experience, I realized God had given me the gift of suffering, though I did not see it that way, and I needed to learn how to steward it. And so that's what I want to share with you right now. Now, I've titled this, How to Steward God's Most Feared Blessing. Now, you can read word for word what I'm about to share with you. You can listen to the podcast at watch the video. There's also a ton of embedded links inside of this article, and so I would love for you to do a a deeper dive into all things suffering, because we can agree that personal suffering is the one thing that we fear most, and that's why I titled it, How to Steward God's Most Feared Blessing. I mean, who, who wants to suffer? I mean, just think with me for just a moment. Certain things come to mind that tempt us to fear. If you just put on pause for just a moment and and think about uh, that thing or several things that come to mind that do tempt you to fear. Now, maybe you don't spend much time thinking about your fears, and that is good for you. 
I mean, I would say that fixating on fear is not the way to spend your time and is definitely not the way to minimize your soul noise. But if you do think about your fears, even for just a moment, you may pinpoint at least one recurring worry that, that seems to circle around into your, in your life on a regular recurring basis. We all have them. And there is a reason the oft-repeated theme of fear not pops up throughout God's Word. Adamic people churn inside a fear-guilt-shame complex. That's what happened to Adam after he chose to unbelieve. We're born in Adam, and so we have this fear-guilt-shame complex that churns inside of us. And even though Christ is our great conqueror, our former manner of life continues to seek to captivate our minds. When Job put his finger on the thing that he feared most, it caused dread to wash over his soul as he wrestled through the aftermath of God's sovereign intervention into his life. We know in chapter 1 that he worried about his children. It's very clear in the text. And it amped up his uh, penchant for legalism which was a futile attempt to steer God's omnipotent hand, hoping that Job could manage things and protect his family and his children. Well, it didn't work. When you mix mystery and sovereignty with an omnipotent God, all you can do is make your plans, knowing that God is going to order your steps down an unchangeable pathway. The good Lord led Job into the crucible of suffering. And after things unraveled for him, Job said the quiet part aloud. It is in Job 3.25. Here it is. For the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. That's why it's important from time to time to just pinpoint that thing that you fear. I am not suggesting that you fixate. As I said, it will churn uh, your soul. It will stir up that soul noise. And so we don't want to fixate on our fears, but we do want to make and we do want to be aware of what our fears are so that we can take those things to Christ. Job was a praying man who loved God wholeheartedly, no doubt. But he did not recognize that God's blessing would come in such an unsuspecting way. Job reminds me of my friend Mabel. She prayed for 13 years that her marriage would change. Biff was a half-hearted husband as well as a half-hearted Christian. The primary emphasis in his life had been to work hard and long hours. If you ask him, he would say that he was a good husband because he provided for his family. How many times have I heard that? The providing for the family card is one of the most overused justifications for the man who chooses to be a lousy husband on the home front and a rock star vocationally. Biff filled his love cup by managing his reputation at work. As the years rolled on, the work hours became longer and their marital distance grew wider as their mutual pockets of silence metastasized. Mabel knew there was more to Biff's life, but she could not put two and two together, and that's why she was praying, Dear God, restore our marriage. Well, finally, her suspicions were validated 
when a text from Biff inadvertently went to her phone. He meant it for a female colleague three states away. Mabel confronted Biff, but her efforts were fruitless as he denied her accusations. Biff was filling her out, trying to discern how much she knew so he would know how much to say. Biff was in full damage control mode. You see, when a person's confession does not transcend what others already know, there is a strong chance that he is lying. Biff was lying. And once he knew the evidence was irrefutable and his protestations were unconvincing, he came clean about his 19-month affair. Though the counseling took several months and many ups and downs, Biff repented genuinely, authentically. He did, for real. He genuinely repented, not just turned over a new leaf. He was no longer in damage control mode. He genuinely changed. And Mabel came to a sovereign-centered view of suffering. It took a while, but it released her to forgive her husband freely and to pursue genuine reconciliation. Ironically, Mabel's prayers for a good marriage were answered through the crucible of extreme suffering. What she feared the most had come upon her, and what she dreaded befell her. It's like what Job said in 325. And God gave them a great marriage. Now, the remainder of what I'm going to share with you, I want to speak to a high level of mature Christian response to personal suffering that comes from the loving hand of God. It's the type of hardship that God was calling Mabel to endure. You may not have come to this place in your theology of suffering. That's okay. Do not despair. Be prayerful. Ask God to give you the grace to understand what I am saying so you can adequately steward this most feared blessing. No matter the difficulty, Your suffering will not come to you without God's allowance and His mysterious concern for you. You must work through the primary tension between you, the sufferer, and God, the gift giver. If you don't do this well, you'll be unable to get the proper perspective on what's happening to you. Suffering is inevitable for every human. For example, we're all going to die. Suffering is an imminent and painful reality, which is why it is all the more important to see suffering through the lens of God's sovereign plan for us. Before Mabel could properly work through what was going on in her marriage, she had to have her heart adjusted by her loving Heavenly Father. What you're about to hear are a few verses that I want to share with you And with each verse, I want to share a a brief commentary after the verse. There are eight of them all together. And it works through a progression. And I hope that this sequence will recalibrate any needed changes in your mind about sovereignty and suffering. These verses will walk you through a progression that leads you to a safer and more satisfying perspective on God's mysterious will for our lives. I'm titling this Progressing Through Suffering. There are eight texts of scriptures, 
specifically that I want to share with you, and then I'll give a brief commentary after each one. The first one I've titled is Time to Die. This is John 12, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus told us that death is the only way we can live. It's gospel irony. Fruit bearing comes through the door of death. There is no other way if we hope to live a fruitful life. I am not trying to be unsympathetic toward anything that may be happening to anyone. Truths about suffering are hard for fallen ears to hear. Part of the maturing process has to include purifying our perspectives because the truth is that we have many ways, attitudes, patterns in our lives that need changing. It is mercy from God to love us enough to purify us by removing things from our lives that hinder us from knowing Him more profoundly. I assume what I'm saying is not odd to you, especially if you're a parent. Loving parents always do hard things for kids with hearts prone to wonder. And so point number one is time to die. The text is John 12, 24. Number two in this eight-step sequence progression is it's time to participate. In Philippians 3.10, Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. There is an implied question from this verse begging you to answer. Do you want to know Christ? That's the question. Knowing Christ is a costly, challenging, and painful process that will will require your life. Do not be deceived about the fee for admission. Jesus was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. He was despised and rejected by men. We cannot know him in a detached and unaffected way. Never. Not in this life. Christianity is not a spectator sport, but a call for combatants to enter the arena armed and ready for battle. If you love the Savior and desire to know Him genuinely, there is no other choice but to share in the fellowship of His sufferings. It happens in the arena. We cannot participate in the power of His resurrection until we engage in His sufferings. Point number two is time to participate, Philippians 3.10. Point number three is time to accept. Philippians 1.29, Paul said this, "...for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake." There are two gifts you receive at regeneration. The first is the gift of salvation. When you first encounter God in a salvific way, He grants you the gift of salvation. To be born again is a beautiful new life, but salvation is not the only gift under the Christmas tree. Imagine gathering around the tree this Christmas, and to your delight, you discover two gifts with your name on them. You open the first and find out you have been born again. Joy, the gift of salvation. And then you ask, what is the second gift under the tree? That gift, my friend, is the gift of suffering. 
is what Paul was saying. The truth is the point of Philippians 1.29. God gives all Christians at least two presents at their new birth, salvation and suffering. Now, I know that this is not a good Evangelism 101 strategy. Hey, you want to suffer? Become a Christian. Well, that's not how we typically evangelize. We typically leave out the suffering part, though we probably should not, or right after they become a Christian, maybe we should begin to teach them that there's another gift under the tree. We ought to be a little more forthright with what it means to become a Christian. The more serious you take your faith, the more you suffer. The Bible could not be more explicit. And so point number three is time to accept both gifts, as Paul was saying in Philippians 1.29. Point number four is time to follow. That is 1 Peter 2.21. He said, For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Have you ever wondered what your calling is in life? Sometimes a young adult will come to me asking about God's will for them. Of course, I do not know the specifics of what God's will could possibly be for them, but I do know this much. He has called us believers to suffer for this you have been called. The word Christian means Christ follower. Personal, customized suffering is part of the experience of being a Christ follower. Imagine a mature young person who understands, at least in theory, that suffering is the way of Christ. It will help when their specific time comes to step into their Gethsemane the wine press where God produces the best wine from crushed grapes. Point number four is time to follow. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 21. Point number five is time to see. Now this is 1 John 3, 1. John said this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. In 2015, my doctor put stitches on the top of my head. Why did he do this, you ask? Well, in part, because he loves me. He cares about my health, so he asked if he could cut a slight growth from my head to have it checked to see if it was cancerous. The process was somewhat painful, though not nearly as painful as other procedures that happen to people and perhaps you. My point is that sometimes love means hurt is the pathway to receiving help and healing. You need to know this about our loving Heavenly Father. God so loved us that He executed His one and only Son. Did you hear that word? Executed. Our Father is a radical lover. Sometimes the manner of love the text in 1 John, he said, See what kind of love or what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be the children of God. Sometimes the manner of love that he wants us to see, well, he bestows upon us in a package we might not initially understand or appreciate as love. 
Point number five, 1 John 3, 1, it's time to see. Point number six, it's time to experience. Isaiah 53, 10 says this, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. God executed his son. He has put him to grief, Isaiah said. Sometimes the love of God will crush us. If the father believed it necessary to crush his one and only son to save you and me, do you think his love for us will always be soft carpet, stocked pantries, and clean beds? The surges of suffering will come over us like the ocean's billows, and we'll be so disoriented that the love of God will be the furthest thing from our minds. We must be preemptive by recalibrating our minds to the purposes and promises of suffering. I like what Samuel Rutherford said about this, his perspective on hardship. He said this, quote, You will not get leave to steal quietly to heaven in Christ's company without a conflict and a cross. Thank you, Mr. Samuel Rutherford. Point number six is time to experience Isaiah 53.10, it pleased God to crush his son. Point number seven, it's time to realize. Job 38.42 goes like this. God is talking and he is saying, where were you, Job, when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Point number seven, it's time to realize. Though Job understood to a degree what was happening to him, he did not entirely get it until the end of the book that carries his name. Before the turning of his captivity, the restoring of his, of his captivity, which you read in the final chapter, prior to that, God stepped in and gave Job some counsel. You might say it was directive. It starts in verse 38. In fact, I, I read a little bit of it to you, verse 42 in chapter 38. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. The Lord was lovingly hard on his friend as he put Job in his place. You see, Job had become whiny and entitled and disgruntled. Do you recognize any of those words? Well, that's what was happening to him. And unfortunately, those words sound like me sometimes. His response to God that is my danger, too. At times, I forget my place. I think I deserve better than what I have, regardless of what I have. I forget that I was a rebel before God, bound for hell. Sometimes I think I am somebody when I unleash my arrogance and begin to prance around like I deserve better. As painful as it is, it is the mercy of the Lord to put me in my place, as he did Job. Biblically, I cannot say the unpleasant things that have happened to me were not the mercy of the Lord because I know they were the mercy of the Lord, even though I did not see them that way at that time. And though many harsh and hard and horrific things have happened to me, I know now that it was God's helping and healing hand in all of those disappointing things. Point number seven is time to realize where were you? when I laid the foundation of the earth. And then point number eight, will you die? I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, Job said in chapter 42. Now he's moving to the end of his book. 
but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job finally got it. He finally understood. God stood on Job's neck for four chapters, hardly letting up at all. And the scales eventually fell from Job's eyes. Formerly, he had heard of God, maybe through Sunday school or a well-crafted and well-delivered sermon. But now, in the context of personal suffering and stern counsel from the Lord, he found his place with God. He was rightly and wholly affected by his loving Father. Honestly, what God did appears to be a divine beatdown. The force of God's words put Job in his place, and Job was like a dead man. He put his hand over his mouth. He was afraid to speak anymore. The grain of wheat in John 12:24 had entirely fallen in the ground, and Job was slowly dying to himself. And though he did not know it, he was only a few minutes, a few moments away from an incredible blessing. God was about to turn things around for his friend. This is what you do read in 42.10. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. The big word in this text is when. God turned Job's captivity when he prayed for his friends. The word when is an element of time. I will do this when. When will you do that? It means time. It's an element of time. God turned Job's captivity when Job came to that time in his heart where he could freely intercede for those who had hurt him. Can you do this? Will I do this? This kind of praying is not intellectual assent to some otherworldly theological nugget. It is purified praying from a broken and contrite heart. Maybe you need to ask God to do more work in your heart. Ask Him to give you the grace that will enable you to pray for and serve those who have hurt you. When you can do this, you can expect God's inestimable favor to flood your soul and your life. Those are the eight steps, a progression into and out of the crucible of suffering. And now we have to proceed with caution. Initially, Mabel could not process, understand, and apply the things that I've just shared with you. She was too hurt, too angry, and too unforgiving. I also knew that she would be too offended if I brought these more profound truths to her attention. This view of suffering is only for prepared and matured audiences. I'm not saying that Mabel was immature, but I am saying that she was not prepared for this kind of teaching. And so I had to be very patient with Mabel. Sometimes the best words, sometimes the right words, are not said at the best times. And so with calibration and patience, I could only bring these up at the right time. She could not see what was happening to her. It was a carefully prepared blessing from her loving Heavenly Father. Now, in time, she did understand. In time, she did experience a more profound grace from God that most of us, maybe some of us, do not know. 
Think about how difficult it was for the Savior to fully embrace the crushing from his Father, the crushing that God planned in eternity past. We sing about it, and we call it amazing love, but it was tough for him to walk it out leading to a death sentence. This is how Jesus talked about it in Matthew 26. He said this, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, But as you will, Mabel was not initially able to steward God's most feared blessing. Mabel had been praying for a biblical marriage for 13 years, but she could never have a biblical marriage because her husband did not have a heart for God. He had a heart for himself. Though Mabel would have been happier if Biff had repented without an affair, she began to understand that God's method to bring Biff back to himself and to her, it was needful. Biff was not only dissing Mabel, but he was trashing God's name. You see, God is a jealous God, and Biff professed to be his son. God would not allow Biff to continue on the path that he was going. Not only did God answer Mabel's prayer by giving her the biblical marriage that she longed for, but he made a significant correction in Biff's heart. Biff repented of his sin, and he began the long process of restoring his relationship with God and his wife. My hope and prayer for the Mabels of this world are that they will be able to embrace and appropriate God's grace in their lives, especially when their time of suffering comes. To do this, they must come to the place of understanding what is happening to them in the horizontal world is not the primary issue. What God is doing in their vertical world needs addressing first. The physical suffering we endure due to our weaknesses is mysterious, no doubt. The pain from others is profound without question. No matter how hurt or suffering how hurt or suffering comes our way, we must understand that God's love works through that pain, creating a transcendent victory. In Matthew 10 verses 39 and 40 it says this, and whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Without a doubt, suffering is God's most feared blessing. And as odd as it may sound, it is a gift that requires our utmost stewardship. How are you stewarding the gift of suffering? Well, if you're like me, you will say, he's still working on me. I got some work to do. I'm not there yet. Well, if you're like me, buckle up. I've got some great news, but it comes with a cross. In my book, Suffering Well, I delve into the mystery of Job's suffering and how God used this gift to bring our old friend into a more in-depth and satisfying relationship with his maker. Several millennia later, I decided to step into Job's book 
hoping the good Lord would turn my captivity into something transformative and redemptive. I can't wait to share what I learned from my old friend, Job. And what I just shared with you here is the introduction to my book, Suffering Well. I trust it has benefited you, maybe inspired you. I hope it hasn't led you to despair, but if it has, well, that despair is a revelation of where you are right now, and so just recognize that, accept that, and say, God, you're still working on me. Please help me to steward God's most feared blessing. And so if you want to read what I just shared with you, that is the title, How to Steward God's Most Feared Blessing. You can find it at lifeovercoffee.com. Come to our coffee shop and you can read, watch, or listen what you have just heard from me. Thank you so much and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.